0: Welcome to the Paxex Podcast, available on iTunes. This is episode 53 of the show where we talk about everything to do with the passenger experience. I'm Mary Kirby, and I'm joined by my co-host, Max Flight. Max, how are you doing?
1: Hi, Mary. I'm doing well. It's the end of the year, and so it's kind of frantic time with the holidays and all. But, you know, we tend to spend it with our families, and that's always nice.
0: Yeah, it has been really, really nice. So, and of course, uh, happy holidays uh, to everybody out there, all of our listeners. Um, before we get started, we'd like to thank the Jetliner Cabins eBook app for sponsoring this week's podcast. When you're enjoying an in flight meal or a movie high above the earth, have you ever wondered about the level of thinking that's gone into your immediate living space? The contoured seat back and supporting headrest, the safety provisions, the mood lighting, the meticulous selection of sound absorbent material calibrated to block intrusive noise. Jetliner Cabins is the story of how scientists, designers, engineers, maintenance, and marketing specialists have transformed the stark tubular interiors of typical airliners into unique settings. This ebook app invites readers to explore the expertise, discover the details, and enjoy the fascinating world of Jetliner Cabins. Visit jetlinercabins.com to learn more and to download the app. Now, it's my great pleasure to introduce our guest today, well-known aviation geek. Isaac Alexander is a freelance aviation writer who blogs at Jet City Star and as Jet City Star. Isaac also is on the committee for the Week and Long Aviation Geek Fest held annually in the greater Seattle area, something that both myself and Max have had the joy of attending. Isaac, thank you so much for joining us.
2: It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you to you both.
1: Yes, Isaac, it's nice to be talking with you. Isaac and I, of course, uh, communicate all the time online, but not so often well, I can't say face to face, Skype to Skype. So this is uh, great. Looking forward to a wonderful conversation.
2: Absolutely, positively. Let's get down to it.
1: Well, then let's take a look at some of the PAXX news stories that are making headlines. First, Mitsubishi Aircraft has told Flight Global that two additional aircraft will join its MRJ Regional Jets flight test campaign. Now, Isaac, I know you've been following the MRJ program very closely. Where does the flight test campaign stand right now?
2: According to that article, as well as uh, they announced it in the newsletter, um, they are past the uh, halfway mark now in regards to their flight testing program. Originally, it was going to be uh, 1,500 hours that they had announced, but with the design changes that were announced earlier this year in regards to the avionics bay, as well as the the landing gear needed uh, changes and stuff to it to make it stronger, is that... uh, they have increased it now to 3,000 hours that they will need uh, to complete FAA certification as well as the uh, reciprocal uh, certification as well in in Japan. They currently have four aircraft uh, over here that started. Uh, the first one flew over in September of 2016, and I was able to attend that as well as the, the fourth airframe that came over in March of 2017 this year. And I was able to attend that one as well. So... Um, they've been busy flying that, uh, all over the, uh, United States. Um, they, as well as they finally, they made the Paris, uh, they, they brought the, uh, the third airframe built, uh, they built that, uh, brought that over to, uh, Paris. So finally to sue the airlines that have purchased the product, uh, so they could actually see it in person on the grand stage building it type of thing. The, uh, they're, they're having issues and stuff with it. It's just getting the product out. Um, ironically, this past Paris Air Show was the 10-year anniversary of them presenting the jet to the world and stuff to be able to purchase. And unfortunately, no product has been delivered to a customer yet. It's a very tough road and stuff for them right now, as uh, they're kind of a, Japan is kind of on an internal clock right now because they would dearly love to have a bunch of the a uh, bunch of MRJs flying over the olympic stadium during the 2020 olympic summer games as a point of national pride
0: Mm.
2: uh to do that uh you know besides their own customers that they want to deliver to they from a sense of national pride they desperately want to get things rolling along and stuff for for, in regards to the program
0: wow i i I, you know it's interesting you say that 10 years that's a long time coming now most of these uh, new design aircraft programs do take longer than expected of course All you have to do is ask Boeing with respect to the 787 or even Bombardier with respect to the the C-Series, which, of course, is powered by Pratt & Whitney geared turbofan engines, which will, of course, power the MRJ as well. But, wow, a decade is a long time. Isaac, what... (laughs) I mean, outside of the technological improvements that they had to make, which, of course, has effectively extended the flight test program, what are the issues that they're having in Japan? Why so long?
2: I would say, in that standpoint, is that uh, they had difficulties um, choosing. It's not so much the technology, because you mentioned the gear turbofan engine. That engine... Or the MRJ was the first one to set off. When they announced that jet in February 2008, that was the start of the the, the second uh, aviation boom, you could say, and stuff for, for sales. Yeah. Uh, for it, and that that begot the C Series, and that begot the Airbus Neo, and then that brought about the 7, uh, 737 Max. This jet was the the start of it all, and unfortunately, it's not been delivered. Now, as for why it's it not delivered yet? I would say I was I, just surprised that until recently in the last two years, Mitsubishi Aircraft has not chosen to hire talent from the best globally into the leadership positions of the company. Huh. Um, why they have chosen not to do that you know, for so long ago and to, to get that talent and just only to keep it in Japan, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for it. Um, that could have something to do with it from that standpoint, uh, just from an integration standpoint, is hiring people to, with experience. But maybe they thought that they could just do it themselves. Uh, since they were able to, you know, kind of Japan has been, you know, very successful in doing it in the automobile industry, they thought they maybe can re- replicate that in aerospace. And unfortunately, that has not been the case uh, so far uh, in regards to that. And Com- Comac has had the same issues as well with the EVIC. Uh, Arj twenty one and as well as the C one nine C nine one nine now is, is flown, but once again you have a product that was announced long ago and uh, it still hasn't been delivered as as well.
1: There are some similarities, of course, yes, as you mentioned, Isaac, between the the Japanese experience and the Chinese experience here, where they're trying to create an aviation capability that uh, they haven't had uh, historically. So they're you know they're plowing new ground, as it were. Uh, trying to develop new things. But I think it's entirely consistent with uh, Mitsubishi's corporate uh, philosophies, strategies to make sure they get it right. And if it uh, takes several more years to do that, then I think that that's what they're going to take. Hopefully they'll get it together sooner rather than later. But it's interesting that they're conducting the test program in the United States. Is there any special significance to them making that decision, Isaac?
2: Yes, yes. Uh, as the simple question is, they have a Japan being an island nation, and their airspace is already congested with uh, commercial flights going in and out of the country, as well as domestically, as well, and then the military over there. Uh, being uh, needing a bunch of space in regards to uh, its neighbors being a little uh, noisy, if you will. Um, they have a lack of airspace and stuff right there. So what they've done is hired a Seattle-based company called Aerotech. And Aerotech has been hired to be the lead uh, in running the flight test certification and stuff for Mitsubishi. So it's kind of a hired for certification, uh, if you will. So that's why they came over here and doing the Moses Lake. And as well as Moses Lake is pretty much kind of the home, second home for the Boeing test aircraft program. So they could hire, uh, you know, Aerotech could hire some of the the previous people that have worked for Boeing as well and then grow the industry here, you know, tap into the talent that's already established here uh, to help bring the product to market fast. Uh, As far as the flight test program that's been operating over here in, in the Moses Lake area, uh, that's been going good from, the, from what I'm hearing. For the most part, uh, the the only kind of hiccups that they've had, kind of mechanical issues with the plane, has been a couple months ago uh, in the late summer. Is that one of the GTF engines on a uh, one of the the, uh, the second test aircraft uh, shut down and uh, shut down all of a sudden during flight uh, over the Oregon coast and had to land at PDX airport, and when he had to send a replacement engine uh, for that. Pratt hasn't uh, disclosed, or Mitsubishi hasn't disclosed any information as to what they found out from uh, that engine as to why it did that during Mm -hmm. mid-flight. Other than that, the uh, the other planes and stuff have been running great, and no kind of issues and stuff that, you know, structural issues or anything have come about uh, from the tests.
0: Isaac, from a very specific passenger experience standpoint, something that, and we've mentioned this on, on Runway Girl, uh, something that we haven't seen is an evolution of the aircraft cabin in the MRJ. Um, you know, we've seen early designs, and then, of course, they have a, a mock-up now and, and whatnot that they've shown off. But at the end of the day, there's nothing really revolutionary uh, in that cabin, and, and I'd, I'd even dare say not even very much in the way of evolutionary. It's a very kind of staid sort of... Cabin. Um, do you think that they, there's an opportunity for them since the program, the, the program is delayed, for them to step up from a passenger experience standpoint? And aren't some of, well, aren't some of their main customers actual regional operators in the United States? Or, or will those orders really happen given the uh, pilot scope clause issue? So I guess two questions: passenger experience and scope clauses. How is it going to impact?
2: It is very discerning that you know they launched this 10 years ago, and you would think, technology wise, how, how many uh that was right at the start of the smart boom, uh, smartphone revolution, if if you will, uh, mm-hmm. with, with the app, you know, with the iPhone and stuff launching right in 2007. And yeah, and it's just it's head scratching for me why there has not been a you know a reboot, if you will, completely and stuff of the interiors. But, you know, their main two customers that they're really focusing right now are ANA and JAL, mm-hmm. uh, being their home customers. And for whatever reason, both of those airlines really haven't pushed Mitsubishi uh, to update that That I can determine has pushed them to update it. Now, I, I I'm har- very much imagine that the U.S. Cu- uh, customers, uh, the trans-state airlines uh, mm. being the main one, uh, th- that would push them as well as some of the, the European buyers that have pushed it, you know, push it for a reboot. But so far, um, unfortunately, not the silence uh, in regards to that. So uh, it, it's <laughs> – technology marches on, but the company and stuff uh, just, I think, wants to just get the jet out the door first uh, safely and in operating before they want to do the cabin thing. And I just – I wonder if that's just kind of a lost opportunity then uh, to really uh, – make a distinctive note about your product being out in the marketplace.
0: Uh, especially given where they're from, because, of course, you have Panasonic Avionics down the road, right, that does the IFEC. You've got, um, you know, a lot of the former former Koito um, engineers that have moved over to-, to Toyota to develop aircraft seats for A&A, right? So you have the talent in Japan, <laughs> Um, but who knows maybe they've got something up their sleeves and uh and we just need to stay tuned you know for
2: <laughs> it would be something. nice to see an announcement at Farnborough or even earlier here at the singapore air show about uh something a, a new type of material or even at hamburg you know for the that would be nice. just that would something be. yeah
1: all right well let's uh, push ahead look at aerospace accelerator startups we see that they're growing quickly and Isaac, you recently attended an event of this type sponsored by Aero innovate based out of Wisconsin who are the players in this market
2: uh, Aero innovate uh, is a kind of a branch of the University of Wisconsin system um, that, that they've set up a kind of an accelerator if you will inside the college type of thing to help new aerospace companies start up yeah you know, primarily based here in the United States um, they're Currently funded now from a grant from the Department of Defense, uh, they were founded in 2009, and what they do is kind of have a school, if you will, or a schooling class that you, that starts in March, starts in March, and then runs through through July. Uh, for for companies and then they, uh so a bunch of companies enter and then like just say for an example let's just say fifteen companies enter yet only five are actually go through you know successfully complete the the course if you will and then they're publicly announced during Air Venture Oshkosh in July but uh, so that that's kind of the course from that uh, that's kind of what what the background of Innovate is and what they were doing now is doing a roadshow if you will trying to promote themselves as well as going to different, uh, looking for different aerospace companies here in the United States. So they're going to be going next. They're going to be going to Silicon Valley. Then they're going to be going to Denver and then Orlando uh, later uh, in 2018, uh, promoting themselves. As for companies that were actually attending this, uh, you had uh, the interesting one is Boeing Horizon X gave a presentation. And what Boeing uh, Horizon X is, the new investment arm uh, if you will, for, for the Boeing company, uh, Jim Salmon was, um, one of the, 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 the vice president that was speaking for that. And, uh, they had just set themselves up this year to be kind of the VC or, uh, VC arms, if you will, of Boeing. And they have, uh, seven deals have been announced, uh, so far from the company ranging, the biggest one being Aurora systems that, uh, does unmanned aircraft, as, as you know, Max from, from your other uh, yes. show you run and stuff for things, and then uh, they've been buying some robotic companies. They bought a drone company. They bought uh, some metals company uh, out of Pittsburgh. So they they are first for first year event, uh, first year branch of Boeing. They're doing pretty uh, pretty well. And then they have a uh, three more deals and stuff. They uh, hope to be able to announce by the beginning of next year. And then Airbus, as well, has made A3 uh, technologies. Uh, they actually did it first before Boeing did. And then kind of the kind of the related one to me is that they built A3 technologies, which is kind of a uh, a, a commuter plane or aircraft, if you will. that's going to be a two seater one. That basically, if you're in a downtown major metropolitan area, like you know, uh, let's go with Philadelphia, uh, like you, um, Mary. If you're in mm-hmm. downtown Philadelphia and need to get to the airport quickly, you get on this. Uh, the Bahana is what uh, the Airbus aircraft is, and it just is the uh, you know flies about the freeways and goes straight to the airport and in less than twenty minutes. You don't have to put up with all the ground traffic.
0: And do I have uh, to do any driving? Will it be completely autonomous? I'll be and I'll be yes. the passenger. Oh, well, yeah, fantastic.
2: Be, <laughs> yes, it would be fantastic. Uh, these are the main companies. <laughs> Company that was at Aero Innovate that was kind of uh, people would know was uh, Eric Lindbergh, who is the son of Charles Lindbergh, is funding a company called uh, Verde Go Aero. And basically, it's similar to the Airbus Airbus, uh, aircraft and stuff. It's a two passenger uh, uh, unmanned hybrid aircraft. So they see the future as being hybrid or being electric aircraft is going to be the way to go for these. Things, but right now stuff the technology, the battery technology is just not there yet to make it all high, uh, all electric so they've gone with a hybrid engine uh, for gas and electric Eric Lindbergh's a company is being uh, put together and stuff down at uh, Daytona uh, Embry riddles campus down in Daytona for building it so um, it's just a really really exciting time right now uh, in aerospace because you have all these you have a bunch of capital, all over the world, uh, world that people are looking for new breakthrough technologies to be the next. Uh, in, ter- in terms of the technology industry, they always call it unicorns—the big valuations of companies that get to just the scale of it. They like can just be it, dominate their markets, and, and you're really now seeing this in terms of the aerospace uh, industry. Thankfully, uh, and you have so many players, and aerospace is a really specific niche. Yet, when you go to these type of events like Aero Innovate or Starburst is another one. You see how broad the aerospace industry can be in what you can do with it. And it's just amazing from that standpoint.
1: You know, Isaac, uh, a year or so ago, a couple of years ago, I used to uh, remark often at how exciting these times were for commercial aviation, what with new airplanes, new engines, a lot of things going on. And I, I guess I thought that would Tied us over for a little while, but it's just been amazing how many different types of aerospace and aviation companies are are making these kinds of investments and developing these new uh, technologies. It's quite remarkable. I don't think we've ever seen as much new innovation going on as we are right now
2: and mary um I, mean, I saw that you're you've been covering the aerospace industry or aviation industry for now for nineteen years um,
0: yeah, it, I, 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 it's yeah no i well i I would have to i know I know we're aging myself, myself and max right we're getting yes, old no <laughs>
1: well i i so I'm,
0: I'm well i'm forty two but I got into it early, so in May, I will have been covering aviation for twenty years. And, uh, yeah, I've never seen anything quite like this with these, um, excel startup accelerators. It's, it's, it's quite new. And in fact, it's funny you mentioned the Starburst accelerator. That's the first time, um, that it kind of came onto my radar a few years ago. And we actually wrote a piece about what they're doing. There's a number of, of course, European companies that are part of that accelerator, including passenger experience, uh, firms that are involved in the in-flight entertainment and connectivity industry. And from a Paxx standpoint as well, um, the Airbus BizLab Accelerator um, uh, is producing uh, some interesting results uh, with their startups that are part of all of that. Uh, we've got one that we recently featured, a uh, piece by John Walton, called Alula, uh, which is proffering a data integration box and a comms network that effectively is looking at um, – Combining multiple feeds, whether it is homegrown ADSB, space based ADSB, uh, traditional satcom, uh, traditional air to ground uh, connectivity, and and effectively wanting to. Uh, it's the kind of the internet of the aircraft and then using the correct pipe uh, to get it down to the ground, using the most efficient pipe. And, and so this is the kind of thinking that's going on, and, and we are tracking it from a passenger experience standpoint because, of course, what happens from, say, for example, an operational standpoint and connectivity ultimately has an impact to the passenger. So it's really neat, and it's neat to see these big companies kind of sponsoring it and supporting it. Uh, and also for some of them, of course, as you say yourself, Isaac are providing some of the capital for it. And another one, I guess that would come to mind would be the JetBlue Ventures, yes. right? Yes. Yes. Right. I got,
2: yeah. And they were at, I attended a Starburst event actually a year ago that was held here in Seattle and as well. And I got this, you know, Starburst or JetBlue Ventures and stuff was up here and they have uh, actually invested locally with a company called Zunum, uh, Arrow, which is building an all electric, uh, regional, uh, aircraft. Uh, up here and stuff in the redmond area, so and then you know Max has had them as a guest on his show
0: it's i guess it speaks volumes to the fact that we really do need these big corporations to get behind the startups and they realize it as well and it's kind of exciting to see some of these collaborations within industry so you know ind- industry gets gets uh, knocked left and right in today's climate for a variety of reasons that are justified um, but this is one where they uh they're actually doing some uh, some real good and and it's exciting to see
1: so yeah. they sure don't want to get left out or left behind
0: right
2: Well, it's it's the fear of being disrupted. If you're going to be disrupted by another technology that's going to make yours obsolete, you need to have that internally in your company versus externally. And companies are getting the message on that.
0: It's smart business at the end of the day. Yes. Yes. Yes.
1: Well, last but not least, let's look a little ahead into 2018. And there's a, a number of PAXX events that are held around the world. Mary, what are the PAXX trends that you're keeping an eye on for next year, and what events will we see Runway Girl Network attend?
0: So it's interesting. The The PAXX trends are becoming much easier to predict and discuss because there's some very, very clear ones um, out there. Um, it comes as absolutely zero surprise to our listeners, uh, Max, that of course the trend towards the high density seating continues apace on board aircraft and much to the chagrin of many passengers with, of course, as you know, uh, the 787 being pretty much standard now at nine abreast. It's a very tight configuration. The the 777 now increasingly standard at 10 abreast. Um, a, a lot of these Boeing types coming under a lot of scrutiny uh, simply because of the cross-section what they're able to handle in terms of seats and seat width. Um, and, of course, seat pitch being tightened up and airlines realizing that they can monetize those extra inches, whether they're offering extra legroom products or a premium economy product. They're effectively—they're um, effectively getting people to pay uh, for the additional what—what what used to be standard part of the product are now the kind of bells and whistles, and and in order to have a comfortable experience, you actually have to be willing to pay for those extra increasingly. And we're seeing that, of course, across the board, whether it's the low-cost carriers or the legacy carriers, the really the high densification of aircraft is—is—is is, is happening. It's—it's—and—and and it doesn't look like that's going to change any day soon. <laughs> Alas. So if you want a comfortable ride, particularly long haul, you, uh, you do need to pay a bit extra for the um, the premium economy or the extra legroom economy seat. Um, another uh, thing that we actually are seeing that remains uh, consistent on long haul is the fact that those seatback screens, those in-seat IFE systems, they are still in play and most wide-body aircraft are ordered with those. Um, and I... And I I I firmly believe that if you're tracking aircraft interiors, you need to be tracking what's happening from an in-flight connectivity standpoint and an in-flight entertainment standpoint because they're pacing uh, parallel to each other. So as you've gone this very high-density Long haul triple uh, sevens and seven eight sevens. The idea of not offering something to t- try and distract passengers, um, it just doesn't make sense. So those those IFE systems, it's not like there's some sort of nice give from the airline. They're aimed at distracting you from the uncomfort, discomfort that you're in in the back of the aircraft. So that's all. That's all still the case, Max. You know, we're just seeing more and more of the high density. Uh, if you're an economy class passenger, obviously in business, it's also going high density. But you get the uh, increasingly, you get the aisle access um, and uh, and the full flat experience. But uh, you know, as we've talked about on Airplane Geeks you know, it's also a bit more of a coffin experience, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you're, you know, you're enclosed, but Hey, that's, that's what these, that's what the business traveler seems to be calling for. So that's And and of course, on the connectivity front, the expectation is an at-home experience in the sky that is increasingly being demanded. And the airlines that aren't able to offer that or aren't getting clever with how they package their connectivity are coming under serious scrutiny um, by passengers on social media that are very vocal about now their passenger experience, including the connectivity. So the pressure is really on the connectivity providers to step up their game in a major way. And with all of that said... Uh, you know, you have a number of really big um, events on the passenger experience calendar. And I have to say, it's getting kind of crowded out there. So some, yeah. some of the must attend events for us. So the, I, I will be at Inter- International CES in January, um, kind of paying attention to uh, some of the passenger experience trends that we may be seeing. And from a consumer technology standpoint, Panasonic has a huge presence at International CES, and they, they're going to actually be highlighting um, a lot of their PaxEx technologies there. So it's interesting that the year now gets started quite early. International CES is right there in January. And then in March, you have Satellite 2018, which has become a must attend uh, for us. Um, Because what is occurring from the satellite standpoint ultimately trickles down into what's happening in passenger experience because these satellites are, of course, supporting the high-speed connectivity that all the passengers are demanding. April brings us to the huge Aircraft Interiors Expo in Hamburg. That has become our main event for the year. Um, simply because you have players across the travel experience, uh, including all of the major aircraft seat makers. And they're there and they you know, open their doors and, and, and let you on the stand and, and see the latest and greatest uh, kind of that's happening in aircraft interior. So that's become a must attend. Another event that is on our calendar now is the Aviation Festival Americas. That's really kind of uh, become uh, something that we're seeing more and more, say, for example, of sponsors of Runway Girl attending because they get a lot of airlines there at that event. Um, Another one is the Global Connected Aircraft Summit. That's out in San Diego. Um, That has kind of become the premier in flight connectivity specific event on the calendar. And then, of course, you get into the, uh, you know, alternating years, the Paris Air Show, And then, of course, this year, it's going to be Farnborough Air airshow. show. Um, we like to have a presence there. And then the big Apex Expo in September, in the fall. So it's a busy old calendar right now. But I feel like we need to have a presence at, at you know, if not all, most of these events, because there is so much happening, and things are evolving quickly. And you know, all, you know, on top of everything else, airlines are really trying to give a much more personalized passenger experience. So they are using technology in a much more clever way, and that includes connectivity, including arming the the cabin crew, for example, with tablets that are connected and able to tell that flight attendant a little bit about the passenger in order to have a much more personalized experience for that passenger on board. So maybe you maybe you're sitting in a seat that's incredibly grossly uncomfortable, Max, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, the flight attendant increasingly might know your name and your, your favorite drink and may say, well, okay, I know his, his legs are hurting, so that means he needs a second glass of, of, of his red wine. You know, I mean, we may, we, may, uh, we may be moving in that direction where it's more about the personal passenger experience and the interaction with a uh, crew that are really on their game and, and, and tech equipped. Um, that, that seems to be where we are headed. Now, Isaac. I know you see a lot of uh, this content coming out. And, of course, you see a ton of news that emerges, particularly from Aircraft Interiors Expo and Apex and whatnot. Uh, are there any kind of PAXX events that you're seeing that I haven't mentioned that you think we should be paying attention to? Should we be going to these accelerator events, do you think, for example? I would definitely
2: consider going to one of the Starburst events. If, if, okay. if there's one on the East Coast, it's at least attend one of those yeah uh one of those accelerator events the other one uh, that you didn't mention that also takes place in September is the future travel experience that's held in Las uh, Vegas
0: yes in Vegas yes I've been there a few times of course of course that the timing of that is interesting because it you it's usually right before the apex expo. So they're kind of, in some respects, they partner um, on their conference agenda, but in some respects, they also compete a little bit. But, of course, future travel experience is a little bit more focused on the on-the-ground experience. So if you're tracking airport technologies – and, of course, truly, airport technologies are getting uh, – are really quite exciting because, of course, you're bringing in the biometrics now for facial biometric boarding and, you know, bag. Yeah. yeah go Funny for you it.
2: mention that because I got, I attended the airport. There was an airport innovation uh, two-day conference that was held in the Seattle area oh. that I attended this, up this year. So I got to see… Uh, a bunch of th- that kind of robot that kind of comes up to you and then talks and reads your biometrics. I got to experience that uh, this earlier this year, and that that was quite an experience. <laughs> that was an in- interesting way and stuff to handle things uh, at airports. Whether it speeds it up or not and makes it better, uh, I guess we just need to see it uh, working out in the wild to see if it does. Well,
0: here come here, here come the robots, Max. What about you? Do you would you rather deal with a live person or a, a, a robot or a kiosk?
1: Um, You know, I kind of like the personal touch of a human being, but most of the time I'm in such a rush that walking up to a kiosk, getting my business done and moving on is what I'm most uh,
0: likely to do. Right. Well, the uh, local McDonald's here down the road from me um, has just installed kiosks. <laughs> I'm like, uh, what are people going to do when the kiosks and the robots replace everybody? I don't know. But I guess we shall see. We shall see. That's probably a question for another time because, alas, we're rapidly coming to a close. I'd like to thank our listeners. And remember, you can find us online at RunwayGirlNetwork.com and on iTunes. Be sure to follow all the Runway Girl Network activity on Twitter at at RunwayGirl. And remember to use the PaxX hashtag when tweeting about the passenger experience Join in the conversation. Not only do we have uh, a lot of people around the world and corporations around the world and airlines uh, using PaxX hashtag, um, but we've even seen uh, entrepreneurs develop their own competing paxx news websites based on paxx so now there's paxx.com and PaxX.arrow. so (laughs) it's fascinating to see little old paxx grow in all sorts of ways so um it's it's also exciting it's a real testament to how this part of the industry is is moving uh, from strength to strength i'd like to reiterate our thanks to our sponsor jetliner cabins ebook app and i'd like to thank isaac for being our guest isaac where can listeners find you at
2: You can find me uh, most likely on uh, Facebook and Twitter at the handle Jet City Star, as well as uh, my blog at jetcitystar.blogspot.com. And I also want to say and stuff, congratulations, Mary, on four years of Runway Girl Network.
0: Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it, Isaac.
1: Always great talking with you, Isaac. And we'll ask all of you to please join us again next time as we talk about the passenger experience on the PAXX Podcast.
0: Take care, everyone.